Now, I appreciate the opportunity to preach through Romans. Like I've said before, it's just been one of those goals that I've had in my life. And so I'm getting to fulfill another point in my bucket or another check on my bucket list because preaching through this kind of allows me to just share the heart of what the gospel message is. And through these chapters, particularly Romans 6, 7, and 8, are some of my favorite passages in the Bible because it's all about the grace of God. And as I preach, it allows me to share with you where I am in the message, meaning that as a preacher, sometimes I've got to relay the struggles and the parts of my life that God is not finished with me yet and never probably will be. And so the Apostle Paul is going to do that today in Romans chapter 7. And preaching simply is just one hungry beggar telling others where they found bread. And that's the way I perceive preaching as I'm sharing things that God has shared with me or have ministered to me through another person, and I'm just relay, relaying them on to you. And today, Paul is actually exegeting himself. And what that term exegeting is has nothing to do with Jesus, but in a sense, he's interpreting and he's going deep into his heart and in his life and sharing what is going on there. He's pulling back the curtain and saying, here's where I struggle. And to me, that's an encouragement because I struggle as well. And sometimes we struggle in our growth, in our personal walk, and that challenge of personal growth and spiritual growth is maybe four steps forward and then five steps back, or two steps forward and one step back. It's not a a steady incline of growth, but it's actually more like a wave up and down as we walk through our lives in Christ. And there are victories and there are defeats in this walk. And I'm, I'm, I'm attracted to people that are vulnerable and authentic Because a lot of what I've seen in Christianity growing up was a lot of bravada, a lot of show, and and they weren't authentic enough to really share their struggle. And and if we're really, really, what do I say, honest and authentic, we all struggle. And last week I encouraged you by saying that you you could not out sin God's grace because you're just plain not that good of a sinner. And I hope you take that personally because that's meant that way, that God's grace outpaces your sin. So if you're struggling with sin, know that God is there for you through His Spirit and by His grace, and you are His child And he will never separate himself from you. He will love you. And if you're still hearing the voice of God and being convicted by sin, that's God's voice calling you home. And he's going to give you the power to overcome. So I want to encourage you, because we're all strugglers together. And and at the same time, 
you are being formed into the image and the likeness of something or someone. Maybe a mentor, maybe a role model, maybe Fox News or CNN, but you all are attending church somewhere and you're a disciple of something and whatever you feed your soul and your spirit, that is what you are becoming like. And so the question then becomes, who am I modeling my life after? What church am I really going to? Because church world, we only have this opportunity a few hours a week. But a lot of us are streaming things into our lives 24-7 that aren't healthy, aren't good for us. And we know that. And as followers of Jesus, we want to recalibrate our lives back to true north. That our lives are like compasses, and they need to point, they will point somewhere, and true north is the lordship of Jesus Christ. And that is who we should be listening to most and have the most influence in our lives because we want to be formed into the image and into the likeness of the Lord Jesus. And this is where Paul, the Apostle Paul leaves Romans chapter 6 and he goes into Romans chapter 7 and he says, Or don't you know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive, but if her husband dies, she is free from that law, and if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Well, this is kind of a weird turn in Paul's reasoning, and he's going back to this discussion about the law. And if you're reading through the Bible in the year, maybe you're in Acts chapter 20, 21, and 22, where Paul's in trouble again for breaking the law, the law, the man's law, religious law, of maybe taking a Gentile into the temple, which was not true. And in fact, he's placed in chains, and he's going to get a free trip to Rome via the Roman government to be tried because he broke some religious law that he didn't even break. And so Paul, when he writes Romans and he's talking about the religious law or, or God's law, again, which were two different things, he's saying that before Jesus you were married to the law. And, and, and this law was what we talked about in Romans chapter 6. When we remember, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may abound? Romans 6, 1. Or don't you know that all of us who were buried into uh, Christ's death were buried into his baptism in the likeness of his death that we also might also be in the likeness of his resurrection, which we all want to participate in. And, and Paul is saying, you died to law when you died with Christ in baptism, that when you were taken under, saved by grace through faith, this is not a work, this is not an option, that you were baptized into his death, that you might experience the death, burial, and resurrection of Lord Jesus Christ. You died to the law in that moment. 
And same is true in marriage. If your spouse dies, you're free to remarry. Not until then. Then he goes on in verses 4 through 6. He says, likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive so that we serve in a new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Paul's basically saying this 637 laws that were in the Old Testament that every good Jew was supposed to obey, that they earned their relationship with God is no longer in effect because you died to that when you were buried in baptism with Christ. Now, the purpose of that was so that we would no longer be under law, but the law would still be a tutor. But we are to bear fruit for God. But because at that same time when we are saved by grace through faith, the Holy Spirit enters our life and we bear the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, for which there is no law. And so because we've been saved by grace and transformed by God and we are in that sanctification work of being cleansed and changing those sin patterns that, remember, uh, drive deep neural pathways into our lives through our behavior by our habits that we are changing over to conform to the Holy Spirit's guidance. Paul's saying all of this, and then he goes on to say, so what shall we say then? So what, what about all this? That the law is sinned by no means? Yet if, I had not, if it had not been for the law, I would have not known sin. So one of the purposes of the law was to reveal what sin is. Now, Yesterday, I was with my youngest grandchild, two-year-old, at the carnival. And he wanted to ride some rides. And he wasn't tall enough to ride some rides. And we would have to say, no, you can't ride those rides. And then he'd throw a fit and cry. Very poor behavior. (laughs) But the rule revealed his heart. And the rule reveals our heart and what sin is. And Paul then goes on to describe what sin is. He says in verse, latter part of verse 7, he says, For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, You shall not covet. But sin, seizing in opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. See, the law reveals our inclination to sin, that we are sinners, that we are inclined to sin. That's our natural human fleshly behavior that occurs. 
And we would not know that except for the law. And then Paul says, verse 10 through 12, he says, The the very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me, for sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment deceived me, and through it killed me. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. You see, the purpose of the law was to give life. But the result was, and the consequence was, that it brought forth death. Now, this occurred without the law because sin's natural course or consequence is death. Now, folks, no matter how good a Christian you are, no matter how religious you are, this is a battle you will never win. Otherwise, Jesus would not have had to die for our sin. If we could earn it, if we could deserve it, if we could be good enough, if your gooder, good, good is gooder than everybody else's good, it will never be enough. So Paul goes on, he says, so the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Because the law reveals the nature of the lawgiver, which is God. His intent was life. His purpose was good and holy and righteous. Then he goes on. Paul writes, and he says in verse 13, Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. No, 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 no. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. See, another purpose of the law was to, re- to reveal the utter sinfulness of sin. This last week I had a gal that came by while I was working outside at my house and wanted to know if, if uh, I hired women, if I was an equal opportunity employer. While she, when she came by, I was about this far in a ditch. And I couldn't reach my phone and I couldn't reach my wallet. And she wanted me to take her number so I could call her so she could work, do some physical labor for me. Well, she happened, we believe, she happened to sleep outside of our church building. She was a homeless gal. She was in her 30s and had a sad story. And so the next day on Monday, I saw her and I said, hey, I've got, got an opportunity. You can rake some areas of dirt for me. And so I went and got her and, and she worked for me. Then she told me her story. And, and, and it was a simple story of how she had been married and they'd been busted and had, had you know, done some jail time. And it was a sad story. Estranged from family members, mom and dad were split, the whole nine yards. And it was very, very sad. And, and what it was, was not all of it was all her fault. Not all of it wasn't all her fault. But it, it was a demonstration of the consequences of sin in a young person's life. And my heart went out to her, but I also knew that without Christ, there was no hope for change and transformation or redemption. 
And so when God shows us in his word the consequences and the natural laws that, that, that when we go against his nature and his spirit, death and destruction or destruction and death come. And here's what we've got to realize, that if the good news of the gospel really doesn't sound all that good to you, it is likely because you don't really understand how bad the bad news really is. That living so far from God, to go against His will and His word through His spirit and, and, and through His law, ends in death and destruction in every person's life. Now here's the battle that we cannot lose, that we must not lose, that Paul goes on to describe in verses 14 and 15 and the latter part of this chapter. He says, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. This is Paul. This is converted Paul saying this. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. So this is the internal battle that's going on inside of all of us. Striving. The spiritual versus the physical. The mental versus the law of the flesh. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. See, Paul is explaining the spiritual reality of this fight. But he's not making excuses for bad behavior. He's not saying, well, you know, since we're of the flesh and since we're sinful by nature, it's okay, go ahead and sin. No, he's not saying that. Here's what he says. He says, for I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who did it, but the sin that dwells within me. Now, Paul is not saying that you're not good. That God didn't create you in his image. He's not saying that you're not his masterpiece, that he is, you are his God's workmanship. What Paul is saying here is that there's nothing good in your sinful nature, in this part of you that fights against the Spirit of God. So Paul then goes on, he says, So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? You see, there's always going to be a battle between the law of my mind and the law of sin. And I find comfort in that personally. Because if the Apostle Paul was wrestling with that, then when I wrestle with it, I'm encouraged that God is working in me and he's not through with me. But also, being a Christian and living a life for Christ is a battle and it's internal as well as external. 
And as I was doing some research on this, this this wretched idea, this wretched man that I am idea was interesting because Enid writes about it in his poetry. And there's this king about that time, actually before Paul and, and the writing of the book of Romans, and his name was Menesauce. Applesauce. I don't know what is how to say it. But anyway, what he did to torture and punish those that he vanquished, he would take the dead corpses of the people that he killed and he would tie them up face to face, chest to chest, legs to legs, and that would be their punishment. And that rotting dead corpse would eventually kill that person that was tied to them. And that, when Paul says, wretched man that I am, that might have been the picture that he was given, giving to the Romans. But he ends his passage by saying this, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. That doesn't end. He's saying, Jesus Christ, our Lord, is the only deliverer from the law of sin in our lives. And we have to rely on him. So I have two applications for you this morning. Quickly and simply, they are these. Number one, guard your mind. Guard your mind, because sin is always close. Guard your mind. Following Jesus means that there is always going to be a struggle in your mind between your spirit and the flesh. And what is coming to your mind on a regular, what's coming into your mind on a regular basis? And the question is, where do I really go to church? What is really having the influence and the power of persuasion and influence in my life? And the second application is this exude grace. If you're a follower of Jesus and want to be in the image and likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ, exude grace. Recognize the victory in Christ through grace. Being saved by grace makes you, should make you gracious. And if you're not gracious, you probably haven't been saved by grace yet. So, well, Chris, I've confessed Jesus. I've repented. I've been baptized. You know, some of the meanest people I know are Christians. Some of the people that snarl and dig deep and cut vigorously into my life have been Christians. Call themselves Christians. But they haven't been gracious. And folks, that's what people see is how we respond. Do we respond in grace? Tony Evans says it this way. He says there's a law dog and there's a grace dog. I'm going to ask you, which kind of dog are you? Now, maybe you've seen a law dog. I have. Chained up behind a fence, mean barks, and if it could get out, it'd bite you. It is just a mean dog. About the meanest thing you've ever seen. But then there's the grace dog. That's the dog that you want. That's the dog that greets you when you come home, looks you all over. It's like giving you a bath with his, with his uh, <laughs> spit and, and tongue. It is just, I mean, wags its tail. It's crazy in love with you. It's man's best friend, the grace dog. 
Now this breaks down when you get to cats. Doesn't work for cats. You know, folks, if you're living under the law and trying to earn it, and you're a little mean and you're wondering why, it's because you're a law dog. You need to allow the grace of God and that graciousness to exude from your life. And you need to confess that sin because you're chained and you're living under a, a, a false reign. You're, you're no longer under that kind of power. But if you're a grace dog, continue to exude grace because people are glad to see you and they want you to be a part of their lives and you are creating influence and representing the Lord Jesus Christ and that's going to make a difference in your, in your world. And that's what we need. Will you pray with me this morning? Eternal God and Father, we are so grateful for the work that you do in our lives. And Father, we do struggle. And, and Paul, Paul encourages us and comforts us that that struggle is real. It's going to be as long as we breathe. But Father, we know that you have the victory in Christ and we're counting on you and that grace that we've received, that, that has been given. And Father, we want to be a, uh, a grace dog and not a law dog. We want to live for you in the struggle and represent you. And Father, sometimes we fail and we, we confess our sin and ask your forgiveness. But Father, when, when we get it right, when your spirit controls and moves and transforms and we're gracious, Father, people get a sense of what you're all about and the love that you have and the Jesus that we represent. They are drawn to him. Father, I just pray that we would be gracious in our lives. Father, we just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you please stand as we sing this morning? If you need to make a decision.